What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional. You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Domini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, we're firing the Easter Bunny and looking for a replacement. That's right, EB, you're getting binged, and we're sending in another animal out there to make merry with the eggs and the flowers and the chocolates and so on. We've got three candidates on the show today, each of whom may be able to beat the Easter Bunny at his own game. From the mountains to the deserts to the Australian outback, our contenders aren't bunnies, but that doesn't mean they can't hop, dig, and maybe even deliver you a bouquet of fresh flowers. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question... What did rabbits ever do to the Foundation for Rabbit-Free Australia? Joining me today to give the Easter Bunny the boot is friend of the show, co-host of Quick Question with Soren and Daniel, and comedy writer Soren Bowie. Welcome! Hey, thank you very much for having me, giving me this opportunity to kick that Easter Bunny right in the right in the butt. Well, are we allowed to swear on this? I, I put a little quack sound over it, like a little duck quack, so you can't. Ah, it's funny. That's cute. Yeah, yeah. That's cute. All right. Well, I'll stick with butt for now. I want people <laughs> to hear my voice. So, I mean, look, the Easter Bunny's had a good run, but I think we can all agree that it gets too good, I would say. <laughs> it gets old, you know, the nose twitching, the ears, the floppy ears, the cotton tail. It's he's like a, he's a one trick bunny. He's a one trick bunny. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I would say so. So I actually thought of this idea because uh, when I asked you if you wanted to guest on the show, you were really interested in talking about the pika. Yes. Yeah. I so I grew up. I grew up among the pika. Ah, <laughs> they raised you I, from a feral that's child. That's right. Up in the scree of the mountains, I we lived in the tiny holes of the scree. Sort of like the uh, the Jungle Book, except the the Alpine Book, and you <laughs> learned the way of the pika. Right. Yeah, I guess my Shere Khan was sort of like an eagle. Yeah. That because that was the natural enemy. Yeah, a hawk. Yeah, so I grew up in Colorado, and from an early age, it's. You're very encouraged from an early age to climb mountains. <laughs> like your parents are like, I think you're about old enough that we can go climb something. And guaranteed, as soon as you get above timberline, which just means like where the, the there's not enough air for the trees to survive, then Sounds you good. run into these. <laughs> you run into these. You'll hear these little tiny adorable squeaks yes. up there, and it's up in and uh, I don't know who's like been up above like 12,000 feet, but there's like, it's all rock up there. It's giant boulders. And you just like, they're deep. I mean, you can kind of like, if you dropped a water bottle, you could, you could lose it inside these essentially crevasses of rock. Yeah. And that's where these pika would live and they come out and they're so territorial, but it's adorable because they're, they look like little cotton balls, essentially <laughs> the gray cotton balls. They're so cute. They're round and they come out and they yell at you and yeah. their yell is so, it's just a little squeak and it's so nice. It's like, they're they're adorable little animals, and uh, I I feel like you you don't even need to do the, like the laying egg piece. You could just double up. You just have this round animal be the egg itself. Yeah. So you get like little pikas, and then you just open up the pika, and your treats are in there. Right. Wait. Right. Wait. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so to give the listener a sample of the pika call, it is it is astounding. So this is what. A pika sounds like <laughs> just a sort of that's and like in pika that means hey you get out of here get out of here <laughs> you don't belong here yes exactly yeah so uh pikas have a variety of calls and songs they use for communication the purpose of the calls can range from calling cards for individuals, attracting mates, territory defense, or warning of predators. So they they really are extremely verbal, which is, I think, it feels unusual for little animals like this. Often they tend to lay low, maybe not make a lot of noise, not make a lot of loud calls, uh, but these guys really do. A an interesting thing, so... We are talking about replacing the Easter bunny. And of all the animals that we're going to talk about that look like bunnies on this show, this is the one that looks the least like a bunny, but it is the most related to rabbits. It is not a rodent. It is actually in the lagomorph order, which is also what uh, rabbits belong to. Yeah, I heard that. I mean, they look kind of like hamsters. They look yes. like, or like gerbils. But then I remember somebody telling me, "No, no, no, they're they're more like a rabbit." And I was like, "Okay, you don't you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Maybe you've just never seen a hamster. This is a hamster." Yeah, no, they do. They look like large hamsters. They're not big. They're like a, sort of you could hold one in your hand. It's like a handful a hamster. And they have these round ears. They're very fluffy, like you said, like little little egg-shaped poof balls. 
they don't have a visible tail. They actually do have a tail, but it's just buried under all of their fluff, so you can't really see it. But even though they look like a rodent, they are, in fact, much more related to a rabbit. In fact, like Lagomorpha, the order, it's rabbits and pikas, and that's it. I didn't know that. Um, I have a question for you. Do This is, <laughs> is going to sound like a dumb question, but... But I need to know. I'll do rabbits pee? That. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. And the way I know this is I have been peed on by a rabbit. Uh, my Oh, <laughs> very scientific. Yes. My, my friend had a rabbit when I was a kid, and it not only kicked me very hard, it also flicked a bunch of pee on me, which I've heard is like a, I guess, I don't know too much about domesticated rabbits, but I think that they sometimes flick their pee as sort of like a territorial thing. So that's yeah. rad. Yeah. So it, it I'm gonna i I'm gonna steal that. I'm writing it down. <laughs> what we can learn from rabbits. But why I mean it's not a dumb question, but a weird one. So why do you ask? I ask because I so I and I maybe this I don't know if this is true because obviously all of my information about pika come from seeing them and then somebody <laughs> telling me things about them. Um, they said that because water is also very hard to come by up there, except in the winter when there's snow fields everywhere. Mm-hmm. But during the, the regular, like the, the sunny season, May through like August, there's not a ton of rainstorms up there. And I heard that the way that one of the things that they do it to save water, the pika, is that they get a lot of their water from the food that they eat. And mm-hmm. then they, like birds, they just, it's all comes out of one place. Like when they <laughs> poop and pee, it's all just like one collective. It's just like this white blob that mm. comes out. I mean, I know they do not have a cloaca like a bird does. So birds actually have a cloaca. It's like the the magical mm-hmm. hole that does it all is what I like to call it on this show. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> where pee, poop, eggs, and sex all happens. But uh, with pikas, no, they, they do they do not have a cloaca, but they do, I think, similar to bunnies, they produce a kind of weird uh, poop that they will eat that looks kind of more like a, um, it's kind of a more moist kind of thing. And so they may eat that yeah. to like retain their moisture. But yeah, they get they get most of their, their fluid from- They bake little treats for themselves. Exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> hot, hot out of the oven, which is their butt. So, <laughs> so yeah. So the the pika, as you mentioned, are found in mountainous regions, often where a lot of wildflowers grow. They're found in North America, like you said, in the mountains of Colorado. They're also found in Asia. The American pika is found in the mountains of western United States and southwestern Canada. And the colored pika is found in Alaska, the Yukon, and British Columbia. So there are many more species, though, than just the American pika and the collared pika. There are 34 different species of pika, all extremely adorable. Uh, They're typically around 6 to 8 inches big or 15 to 20 centimeters long, sometimes smaller, sometimes a little bigger. They usually weigh less than a pound uh, at like 120 grams. Uh, The biggest pika, I think, is the... Ili pika of the Tian Shan Mountains in China, which is over 20 centimeters long and about 250 grams, which, wow, so so large. Good job, little buddies. You did it. <laughs> <laughs>
But they're very cute. They have very fluffy ears uh, and they're adorable. Are they, is is this one of those situations where an animal just walks over the Bering Strait and we're all like, that's fine. It walked hundreds <laughs> and thousands of miles and that's why it's in both these plates in both these continents. I mean, or I. Or is this like a, a Pangea animal? <laughs> that's a really good question. I actually don't know the, that far back in their evolutionary history. It can be surprising sometimes there are animals, and I'm not saying this is true of the pika because I don't actually know, but there are some animals that actually originated in America that end up in crazy parts of the world. Like, I think marsupials, there is some evidence to suggest that marsupials actually originated in America, and now almost all marsupials are in Australia, except for one, which is the possum, which is still in America. And it's like the only uh, North American marsupial, whereas like the rest of them are in Australia. So that could be the case with the pika. I I don't know. Um, I would be talking out of my butt, which unfortunately does not produce tasty treats like the pika's butts do. Yeah. We're not talking out of our butts today. We're here for kicking butts. (laughs) Easter bunny's butt. That's right. I wonder if if there was like a prehistoric... I went to the tar pits recently with my son and we looked at all the... There's just... Yeah, seeing all the Ice Age creatures, it's just everything is similar except bigger. Like there were just animals were just bigger, like a sloth. <laughs> a sloth. The sloth is like the size of a cow mm-hmm. and maybe even bigger. And I w- I'm just sort of hoping that like at some point there was a bigger pika out there that was just like contending with a saber to a tiger in the mountains. And then at a certain point it got small, but its attitude did not. It still stayed. It still continued to believe it was a giant creature. <laughs> Yeah, sloths have a kind of confidence of like I used to be bigger. I used to be big enough to like eat you, uh, and just like see yeah. ya, and slowly move away. I actually just uh, yeah. just go- quickly Googled it. It looks like the fossil evidence now points towards the pikas actually originating in Central Asia and then dispersing from there. So okay, you know, da 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 da. That's my uh, <laughs> transition from phylogeny song, I guess. So, yeah, they are so, so cute. Their uh, physical appearance is very different from rabbits, even though they are cousins. And, uh, you know, they actually, we we talked about those calls, those amazing little eh, eh calls that they make. They actually can have different dialects based on where they're located. So the same species can have a a different dialect than uh, their their relatives that live somewhere else, which I think is really interesting. That's cr- so if you listen hard enough, you could hear an accent among the pika. I'm going to say <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how the science is conducted. Just scientists listening very hard. Yeah. Like I well, hear that twang. one's different. That one is different. Yeah. I hear a twang <laughs> yeah. on that squeak. <laughs> So, yeah, pikas live in very high altitudes. They're highly adapted to cold weather, so much so that they can actually easily overheat and die in temperatures as low as 78 degrees Fahrenheit or 26 degrees Celsius. So they need to find shade in that instance, and they can very, very easily die from the heat. Oh, man. Is this... Am I about to find out that global warming is killing my pika? Yes, I'm sorry. (laughs) They're actually they're actually known as a climate indicator species, a sort of canary in the coal mine for climate change, because if their population declines, it's a sign of climate increase. And so 
There are climate scientists who will actually collect pica poop and measure stress hormone levels in their poop to monitor temperature changes and changes in their population. That's an insult to injury because the pica was like, not only are they dying off, but they're like, I was going to eat that. What are you doing? I think they collect. Squeak, squeak. (laughs) Eh, stop it. Get away from that. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're to, to be very pedantic, the uh, poop that they collect is the actual poop. So pikas are selective over which poop they eat uh, and rabbits, actually. So they will only eat the special poop that they poop out, not the uh, okay. not the uh, regular poop. So, uh, OK, this is my favorite thing about pikas, though, is that they collect flowers. <laughs> they collect wow. wildflowers and... So they, in the summer, they'll spend all summer collecting wildflowers, grasses for their den. And so they don't eat it right away. They get a big bunch of it and then run back to their den and add it to this big pile, which is called a haystack. And they, uh, because they don't hibernate, they stay awake during, you know, well, maybe not awake, they may sleep, but they don't hibernate. So they need food during the winter and it's exceedingly difficult to find any food in the high altitudes during the winter. So having this huge stockpile of food is necessary for their survival. But it is so cute because you'll see them like with a huge bouquet of flowers in their mouths and they're just running around. <laughs> Sometimes they'll like steal from each other. Like you see one sneak up to another pika's haystack and like take some flowers and run back to theirs and like pat it in as if it belongs there. It's so cute. That is perfect for Easter. It exactly. couldn't get more perfect. When has the Easter bunny hand delivered you a bouquet that it stole from its neighbor? <laughs> <laughs> And it's actually really interesting because they will pick out toxic flowers because they have to store it for such a long time that if the flowers get moldy, uh, that can be terrible. That that can be a death sentence for them. So by picking out flowers that have toxins in it, those toxins actually prevent the flowers from spoiling. And by the time they eat them in the winter, that toxin has degraded enough to the point where it is now safe to eat. So they know not to eat them right away, but they will store them and age the flowers until they are perfect for eating. Fascinating. I didn't know they could do that. I also didn't know that all those flowers up there were toxic. Yeah. It explains a lot, doesn't it? It does. I mean, <laughs> poor poor flowers, though. They, they have very few. There's very few things that are actually going to be eating flowers up there. I mean, you don't run into a lot of animals at that altitude. <laughs> there, yeah. there are not very many. And that they create, they're like, oh, we got this. We will create a toxin and then no one will ever eat us. I'm like, yeah. no, no, said the pika. Like, no, that's exactly what I wanted you to do. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it's so cute. You just got to let them get away with flower murder. Uh, that's true. But yeah, so they, uh, they will sometimes cl- go around, make back and forth trips to their den 200 times a day uh, for the whole summer collecting these flowers until they have this massive pile, which, yeah, it's, it's very important. They will need that uh, to survive the winter. But yeah, it is, they are, as cute as they are, the, they take their survival incredibly seriously. This, I think this is my, 
favorite aspect about them, how seriously they take themselves, like as they're running around with flowers in their mouths, these little poof balls squeaking angrily at each other. It's they have such a such a pompous attitude and I love it. <laughs> yeah, it is really fun to see them because they are they'll come right out on the rocks to be like, what is up? What's up? What's up? And yell at you. I mean, like they're like they come out like you're going to be scared of them. Yeah. And it's it's just adorable. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I love it. I love the undeserved confidence these guys have. <laughs> the chihuahuas of the rabbit. <laughs> the chihuahuas of the rabbit world. I love that. <laughs> Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So I think the pika is a pretty good candidate for replacement Easter bunny or, or springtime rabbit, non-denominational springtime rabbit. I guess it would be non-denominational springtime pika, uh, which I think would be a great, uh, I would love, I would go to that festival for sure. <laughs> There's actually a festival here in Italy. I think it's in the summer or late spring and it, it's a bunch of snakes, like they, they collect a bunch of snakes and non-poisonous snakes and just kind of 
put them on a pedestal of a, a saint. Oh, I forgot what the saint's name is, but it's so awesome. And then afterwards, they release all the snakes back into the wild. So uh, I, I love it, and I want to someday go to the snake festival. What? What on earth? What a crazy, I mean, it's a cool festival. But like, where? how did that start? Like, we still got all the snakes, saint. Look, here they are. And then just release them back into the wild. <laughs> I mean, okay, so so it's it's Saint uh, Domenico, uh, and it's in Coculo, um, but yeah, it's it's held on the first uh, of May, so I haven't missed it yet. And yeah, so it's it's like I think originally I'm trying to remember why they why it, why snakes, um, but it's it's I think that originally they used to like have a feast and eat the snakes afterwards, but now they have stopped doing that because people are like don't want to they don't want to hurt snakes anymore they want to be nice to the snakes which i think is nice but i i love that i love that there's some yes bunnies are cute a cute sort of harbinger of spring but uh you know give snakes some love they're cute too i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah when you see the first snake of the year it's springtime you right, know it right if the snake uh sees its own what its own shadow you yeah, know this is it's tough yeah, yeah this is it's, it's a tough animal for that. It's like the one animal that doesn't have a shadow. Right. It's too close to the ground. <laughs> so it's it's perpetually winter, I guess. So <laughs> so our next candidate, actually, to replace the Easter Bunny uh, is the Jerboa. Okay. I'm looking at it right now. Yes. This, I don't know the difference between this and a kangaroo rat. <laughs> That's a very good point. So it is not to be confused with the kangaroo mouse, which is found in the... Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the mouse, it is found in the deserts of the U.S., um, but the jerboa is actually uh, found in uh, North Africa and Asia. It is also a desert uh, rodent, though, so... Okay. Yeah, so the uh, jerboa has back feet like a kangaroo with a tuft of fluff on their toes, a long tail, typically with another tuft of fur on the end. Very adorable. There, there are uh, 33 species of jerboa, so there are a lot of different species. They all look a little bit different. Some of them have incredibly long ears, and some of them are teeny tiny, like smaller than a ping pong ball. They are fascinating looking little guys, uh, and all of them, though, have this sort of kangaroo, the, even though some of them don't have really long ears and some of them have are smaller, they all have the kangaroo leg looking legs and like a long, supportive kangaroo looking tail. Yeah, it looks like when these were being created that that Mother Nature ran out of legs for a rat and was just <laughs> like, here, I'll put some sandpiper legs on this thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it kind of and it's it kind of looks like a character creator sort of scenario too where it's like ear slider all the way up, side slider all the way down <laughs> for this one. It's they're they're exceedingly cute. Uh some of them have this little snub nose too, so not only do they have these really yeah. long ears, they have this little almost pig-like nose. Uh it is it is adorable. So they will eat seeds, insects, and plants, and they often travel six miles, almost 10 kilometers every night for food. 
And yeah, so they those long legs serve them in several ways, several important ways, one of which is being able to travel long distances to get food in the desert, which can be it is a tough area to live in for animals. So they have to have very, uh, very special uh, adaptations to be able to to be able to thrive there. I'm just thinking about, I'm, I, was, I was lamenting the life of the Jerboa because <laughs> we said how tough it was to live out in the desert. I was like, yeah, man, I know it. Poor, poor guys. It's a little tiny one. Like, I don't know. What, are, they, are they eating vegetation? What do these things eat? Insects? Yeah. So seeds, insects, plants, you know, a, a lot. They, they have a kind of variety diet, uh, which I think helps them okay. because you get, you get what you can get. Uh, in this, but are the are the ears for hunting or are the ears for predators? So the ears are well. It's for two things. Predators is an important one, being able to have sensitive hearing. Probably they also do use them for hunting. But uh, one of the more surprising things is it's actually an air conditioning unit. So by having these really long ears, oh. the blood flows through them and the heat from the blood dissipates over this larger surface area of their ears. So it helps keep them cool in really hot temperatures. That's fascinating. I know that the kangaroo rat has basically a giant chamber in its skull, right in its nose. Um, uh, so that when it breathes in through its nose, it's like this moist chamber in there and it essentially acts like an air conditioning unit where the... Yes. Air cools in like the moisture of it. Does the jerboa have that too? Oh, that is such a good question. I'm not sure. I gotta look it up. Jerboa nose. You're just gonna get a bunch of cute pictures. Oh, it's so cute. <laughs> I mean, it just says that they have hog-like noses, and this shape helps the yeah. jerboa forage and dig to find food and shelter. <sighs> Let me see. Jerboa nose. Piglet nose. Con air wait heat there we go now i'm not seeing anything about it uh i'm seeing yeah, mostly well they figured it out with the ears with the ears that's yeah <laughs> you still sound disappointed i guess that's fine they got air conditioner ears but not air conditioner nose but yeah, yeah that they should talk to the kangaroo rat <laughs> <laughs> i mean i wonder who like plagiarized who in that scenario because they do look very similar yeah i think it's actually a case yeah. of convergent evolution so i i don't i think they're not super related i think this is just like a uh, convergent evolution yeah if the nose is any judge these things are most closely related to piglets not pigs <laughs> like piglets yes <laughs> yeah so the huge feet though we do have to talk about those massive kangaroo feet they allow them to be highly mobile in the desert they can run up to 15 miles per hour which is 24 kilometers an hour, um, faster than I think I can run for sure. And yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. Uh, they can also jump two to three feet vertically, which is almost a meter, and ten times its own body lengthwise. And so, given that they're about the size of your palm, like some are going to be smaller, like the pygmy jerboa is teeny tiny, uh, and then other the long-eared jerboa is a little bigger than the pygmy jerboa, but Let's just say, generally speaking, they're about the size of your palm, maybe five inches or 12 centimeters. So scaled to human dimensions, the speeds and distances that they can, the speeds that they can run and the distances they can jump. So it would be like, first of all, having feet the length of your torso 
and being able to run around 200 miles per hour or 320 kilometers an hour and jump 14 feet or 12 meters up in the air. I, yeah, I mean, I want that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that would be nice. Yes. And, and there's no, like, there's no drawbacks. I wouldn't be like, oh, but I'm not so cute anymore. Right. No, these are way cuter. (laughs) Yeah, no, they're adorable. I mean... The drawback, I guess, is you are small and everything wants to eat you. So, you know, usually when you're running, it's not because you're just having a fun marathon with those like tiny little, tiny little placards that you're wearing and little other jerboas are (laughs) tossing tiny cups of water in your face. It's usually because you're running for your life. (laughs) That would be fun, though. I know. (laughs) A jerboa marathon. marathon. Oh. (laughs) Um, now they've got these they've got tails that are like three times as long as their body yes why why, why do they need such a long tail katie it helps them balance because they're actually typically bipedal so they will do a hopping motion for running and for walking and so having that tail helps them balance when they are hopping on two feet at these really high speeds because if they stumble, if they trip over and lose their balance, that could be death for them. Because uh, they often are chased by things like the desert fox, which can be faster than them. But the thing that they have going for them is their mobility. So they can, the uh, gerbo can run in a zigzag pattern and be really, really agile as they're running. So outmaneuvering their predator can be as important as being fast. Mm, they know serpentine. They do. That's what I use. Yeah, it's important. That's a good one. I so my son uh, plays freeze tag now. He's Aww. at an age where like that's 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 the game that's fun. And uh, I see him sometimes out there playing with the older kids on the block, and he just gets he just gets chewed up by these Aww. older kids. Like they know, especially when like he's it and somebody's frozen and he's got to catch the last kid. Like he can't do it because the kids are. They're so fast because they're, you know, two years older. And that means that they're two feet taller. But I went out with him once and I was like, I'm going to teach you some strategies <laughs> for for <laughs> when you play freeze tag that is they're going to help you. And like you, you're not going to beat these guys with speed. So you like you need these. You need some moves is what you need. And so I went out and we, we worked <laughs> on it. And that was the first time that we had like practiced a sport where he was like he saw all the tangible benefit right away and was like. Ah, you could see the light in his eye where he was like, I want to learn more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so cute. Did you learn that from your time being raised by pikas or by jerboas? It was the pika. Yeah, yeah. it was. So I'll, you also need a really long tail when you're up in the mountains. <laughs> uh, the, the snow leopard will tell you all about it. They, when you're like hunting and on the sides of mountains, you need all that balance you can get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. So the jerboa, by by doing that serpentine pattern that you are teaching your son, can outmaneuver things like desert foxes, owls, and snakes, which is it's also good for your son. I'm I, I think like aside from freeze tag, the <laughs> fact that your son can now outmaneuver a desert fox is going to be really important. Um, it's going to be very helpful. <laughs> they also the jerboas have tufts of hair on their feet. Which act like little little running shoes because they. Uh, oh my god, it's so cute! <laughs> it's so cute uh, because they provides them traction against the sand. So it's like these little pom poms on their tootsies, and it's you know it's just it's so cute. It's 
every adaptation that they have that for them is very serious. Like I need these these running tufts, yeah. otherwise I'm going to be eaten viciously by a snake. We're like, oh, but you're so cute. <laughs> Like, no, seriously, I will die. If I do not have these toe puffs, I will die. Yes, yes you but will. Cutie. Yes, you will. Yes, you I will, will eat you up. <laughs> I'm going to eat you up. Oh, poor Jerboz. It must be so hard to be taken seriously. Yeah, hard life to carve out when you're so darn cute. So darn cute. The long-eared Jerboa actually has one of the, I, I think actually the largest ear-to-body ratio in the animal kingdom. I think their ears are like two-thirds the length of their body. Uh, it it yeah, feels they've... like if you like kind of tossed one like a paper airplane that they would just like kind of take off. I'm not, don't do that. Like do not do that. <laughs> but it seems like that would be what would happen. Yeah, they've got, I mean, they've got huge eyes, big ears, tiny little nose. Like the baby schema is clicking on all cylinders yeah. with this animal. Yeah, it, it, I want to cuddle one of these so, so bad. They actually can carry some uh, diseases, so you don't really want to cuddle them. That is probably not. They're actually, I think they're banned in the U.S. as pets, which is good because pet trade can be bad for animals. Uh, but I think the reason is that they can uh, spread I think it's a version of monkeypox, actually. Jesus. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's just not, in general, it's not a great idea to have a pet that's nocturnal anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't be doing it. They're the cutest ones, obviously, because they've got the biggest eyes. The biggest eyes, just, yeah. I mean, God, I remember having a hamster in my room going at the wheel all night long, just like, ee, ee. <laughs> <laughs> The revenge. And now it's time to exercise. Yeah. <laughs> Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We've talked about maybe having the Easter pica, the Easter jerboa, both I think already like a vast improvement over the Easter bunny, right? Yeah, hands, hands down, head and shoulders, even though they're so small. Yeah. I mean, not literally head and shoulders over the Easter Bunny, but figuratively. Because <laughs> the pika is like both an egg and an adorable creature all in one. The jerboa is, you know, just the the kangaroo style hopping allows it to hold a tiny basket. So, you know, it's... <laughs> so... You know, we've got our non non denominational springtime pika festival. We've got our uh, jerboa uh, jerboa bonanza. I like to call this. New it's one. a yeah. It's like we do the. It's like a spring, like the fun run in the spring. Like yeah, the jerboa fun run. Yeah, and just like instead of eggs, like little seeds and insects that you fill the jerboa's basket with. This sounds like such a good holiday. Uh, and so finally, I want to talk about an animal that I truly believe in to replace the Easter bunny. And that is the bilby of Australia. I'm not familiar with this animal. I'm looking at it right now and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what this is. This is, uh, <laughs> it is an amazing and bizarre animal. And I think people, I mean, certainly I do underestimate how many ding marsupials <laughs> there are because there are, a lot of weird marsupials. So this thing looks like an, it looks like some kind of weird rabbit with a long tail and a long snoot, or maybe even some kind of aardvark. Uh, this is in fact a marsupial. Um, this is Australia's Easter bunny, the bilby. It's actually a type of bandicoot, uh, which are, you know, they are a group of marsupials uh, which is, I guess that is the inspiration for Crash Bandicoot, the <laughs> video game. Although if you look at an actual Bandicoot and you look at Crash Bandicoot, it's the, there's not, it doesn't really look like a Bandicoot. Yeah, something lost in translation, I think. Same way Donkey, Donkey Kong is a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely don't wear uh, Jinko jeans, uh, real Bandicoot. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so uh, no. bandicoots are long-snooted marsupials. They tend to have sort of a shrew-like appearance, but the bilby has these long rabbit ears that kind of, I think, elevates them to this special position of uh, cuteness, in my humble opinion. So they have these long, thin, furry tail. It would be mouse-like, this tail, except that it's covered in fur. Um, they have like a black stripe on their tails, pink noses, and their bodies are overall sort of a grayish uh, tan color. Yeah, I would say that this animal seems to solve a lot of the problems of the possum. 
Mm-hmm. Like the possum has like some aesthetic issues, in my opinion. <laughs> that like, it really needs to work past. Uh, one is that bald tail that it's got, that like pink rat tail. It's also got uh, its ears are so like clipped to its head in a really gross, weird way, and its nose is really sharp and angular. And this one, it still has the long kind of narrow nose, but it 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 pulls it off a lot better. And then obviously it's got way bigger ears. That's cute. yeah. And then the tail, it has the decency to cover its tail in fur. Yeah. And I appreciate that. It's rude. It's so gross. It's yeah. indecent, honestly. <laughs> I actually do love opossums. Uh, they're, uh, to me, to me, cute. But I also think spiders are cute. So I may have yeah. a somewhat skewed, uh, <laughs> skewed sense. There's actually the Australian possum, which is super, super cute. It is, I mean, it doesn't look too much like the North American opossum, uh, but they are, I would definitely, definitely recommend a Google Images search of the Australian possum. Yeah, some genius has has gone to the, like, when you first just look up the uh, Australian possum, they've... They've put a side by side of the American possum versus the Australian one. So you can see both of them side by side and be like, oh, yeah, one is clearly better here. The Even like the American possum has these like narrow evil eyes <laughs> that kind of slant down its face like it's it's angry all the time. Oh, man, this I let's get this one. Let's trade. <laughs> now, American opossums serve a very important ecological oh, purpose. No. They do. They do. They they <sighs> kill off a lot of diseases. They eat a lot of ticks, so they prevent a lot of Lyme disease. All right, keep them around. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so actually, the I, I should say the Australian possum is not really related to the North American opossum. They're both marsupials, so they're both distantly related, but just because they're both got possum in the name, they're not actually that closely related, aside from the whole marsupial thing uh so like the, probably uh, the australian possum is like i don't know her <laughs> <laughs> oh no we don't no we no don't talk. no relation yeah so back to oh the... no you're thinking of the opossum you're <laughs> thinking of the opossum that's not me that's mm-hmm. very different yeah yeah so back to the bilby uh the it is the bilby is an objectively adorable creature. The the little the pointy little snoot, the long ears, the fluffy tail, the large ears that they have actually work similarly to the jerboa ears. They help keep the bilby cool by dissipating heat, and of course, it also helps them to hear threats. Uh, they are actually the largest of the little critters that we're talking about today. They're around 10 to 20 inches or 30 to 50 centimeters long. Uh, like other marsupials, they have a pouch. They give birth to very premature young uh, that look more like a gross little jelly bean or fetus than a newborn. And they actually give birth after only 14 days of development. And when they give birth, that little tiny jelly bean with like tiny stubby legs will crawl up into the mother's pouch and latch onto a teat, which is it is 
it's hardcore that they expect so much. Like, of course, we expect a lot of our kids. Maybe we push kids too much with extracurriculars and everything. But <laughs> this is like, okay, now climb a hairy mountain that is your mom as soon as you're born. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like marsupials have got us. They've got us. They're, they're a step ahead of us in this respect. That they, <laughs> the, Having that pouch is so valuable because your gestation does not need to be nearly as long. Yeah. And it's like kangaroos. Kangaroos are born like they don't even they're like tadpoles basically. They don't even have back legs essentially. Like yeah. they they crawl up into the pocket and then they just hang out in the pocket until they're yeah. old enough to come out and explore. And that's God, that's so great. I wish we had something like that. I, I mean, I, you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it is. I am very jealous of a lot of the way that a lot of animals have decided to deal with. Uh, <laughs> Bearing offspring. I think that marsupials have a great system. In fact, the bilby has such a good system here. You know how like kangaroo pouches open from the top? Bilbies yes. like to burrow a lot, both in terms of their uh, their dens, but also for searching for food because they'll eat anything from like spiders, insects, small animals, seed, fruit, fungi. So they'll dig for a lot of their food. Because they they love digging so much, if they their pouch opened up at the top as they dig, their pouch would just fill with dirt. <laughs> so yeah. if they had, they would just like bury their young alive, which would be bad. So instead, their pouch actually opens up at the other end, at the bottom. And it's, I mean, like the, the entrance to the pouch is very like elastic. So it's not just like this floppy kind of purse where the babies are just going to fall out. So that way, when they're digging and burrowing, it, none of the dirt gets into the pouch. Uh, but it also means that if they're just like sitting there and you look at their butts, sometimes like for, for the females, sometimes you'll just see like a little baby face come out from like where it looks like yeah. she's just has like a fully formed like little baby like coming out of her butt. Of course, it's not coming out of the butt. It's coming out of the pouch, but it's very funny. I, I made the mistake of just searching for the bilby pouch so that i could see it and i feel like i should have done this with safe search on or, uh, <laughs> oh, in an, no. an incognito window because oh, this no. is it is there's like humans basically f opening these pouches up like and showing a baby inside of it it's, uh, it feels invasive it is, i'm scandalized <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah just just leave the bilby pouch alone yeah don't touch them don't touch them <laughs> So uh, bilbies, unlike bunnies, are omnivores. So, you know, already cooler than the Easter bunny. I love that they eat spiders. I mean, I do love spiders, but I also really admire animals that eat spiders because it's like, you know, it's just it's just cool. You know what I mean? The legs don't yeah. bother them. They have like, uh, you know, there, there's it's like instead of like smoking being cool, I feel like eating spiders should be the new cool thing. <laughs> yeah i'm very cool in my sleep then from what i hear <laughs> not true uh, actually that is <laughs> don't worry you don't eat spiders in your sleep spiders do not want to be eaten like it's the idea that we eat a bunch of spiders in our sleep 
sort of supposes that spiders are like, oh, a big, wet, moist cave. Let me go right in there. <laughs> Let's see what we got in here. Rubbing their little hands together. Let's see. Oh, no. Oh, this is worse. Little, this is bad. Little caving equipment. One of those little helmets with a light on it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so they uh, can actually, that, that long snoot of theirs, they can smell food underground and they actually have a long sticky tongue that they can use to lap up either insects or seeds uh, from dug up holes in the ground. And in fact, this method of eating means they ingest a lot of sand. And so uh, the sand, they don't digest, it passes right through them. So you can tell what uh, Bilby poop is because it's mostly sand. Oh, gross. <laughs> That's a terrible existence. Pooping sand? I, I don't even like going to the beach. Yeah, I don't even like going to the beach because I don't like getting like... The, the idea of getting sand in your mouth is horrifying. Yeah. It's like it's the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> and it's just, it's whole life is that. It's just everything tastes like that granular, yeah. that sandwich that you accidentally dropped in the sand. And you're like... That was like the oh, no, worst I can tell part of boogie boarding and stuff is like when you'd like go into shore and then it's just sort of like sand getting into like... It's everywhere and it's bad. Yeah. And I sort of don't understand people who enjoy the <laughs> beach. Yeah, you'll be two days later, you'll be like, sand will just fall out of your pants. And you're like, <laughs> where was that? You'll sneeze what? and like your hands are just full <laughs> of sand. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess they're into it. So, you know. Yeah, and it's it's, them. it's good for the uh, environment uh, because they're such proficient diggers. They actually help till the soil and make the ground more fertile for plants to grow. So, hey, you know, good for yeah, you. That's the, a good Easter bunny animal, a good right. Easter bunny replacement. It's all about fertility. Right. And probably people who are listening to this from Australia um are you know saying like uh yeah no we use the bilby sometimes as our easter bunny and yes so in australia there is a campaign to make the bilby the official easter bunny and it's really interesting why so chocolate easter bilbies have been sold for almost 30 years in australia with the funds going to the foundation for rabbit free australia so suck it bunnies Whoa, that is a, uh, is that a genocide? What are we talking about here? <laughs> uh, Bunnageddon, Rabbageddon. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so why does Australia hate rabbits? What have rabbits ever done to Australia? Well, rabbits invaded Australia. They are an invasive species. Uh, Australia is an island that is extremely prone to invasive species. I mean, cane toad, cough, cough. Wink, wink. Uh, I mean, I, I think I, I'm among friends. <laughs> oh, here. say no more. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, these invasive species can steal habitats, resources. They can hunt native species. Of course, rabbits are not predators. However, they, you know, breed extremely prolifically and they can eat a lot. And so they steal resources from native animals like bilbies. And so ecologists have declared war on invasive bunnies with the Easter bilby as their mascot. Uh, and I just love 
I love that this, I don't know, it's such a vindictive use of Easter. <laughs> yeah, it, it does seem, it's like, well, we like this other animal to be our Easter bunny. And everyone's like, okay, that's fine. That's good. That's really cute. Yeah, and we would also like to kill all the ones that you're using. <laughs> that w- it would be nice if we just didn't have to look at them anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, seriously, bunnies, get out. <laughs> We will murder you all. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, I I understand it, though, because when you have an island like Australia and you have a lot of endemic species, that is species that are only found in Australia and nowhere else in the world, and you have an invasive species that is threatening these animals, you know, it's like, yeah, uh, yeah it is. it is a serious problem. Uh, but yeah, I, just the, the aggressive, the aggressive and angry energy of the Easter Bilby is, is incredible. And I, I do love it. Uh, it does feel like nationalism to me, but that's fine. <laughs> fine. It's fine when it's animals. We haven't, we, no one's, no one's decided to stick a, uh, a claim in the ground over that sort of issue yet. So have at it, Australia. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm going to agree with you. I think the Bilby could be a really good choice, and yeah. there already there's, it seems like the, there's already momentum built mm-hmm. behind it. So they till let's the replace soil. the rabbit and let's kill all of them. Let's kill them here too. Let's just kill them. <laughs> let's kill the rabbits. I think this is a great idea. That Looney Tunes had it right. Kill the rabbit. Elmer Fudd had it right. Un uncancel Elmer Fudd. He was right all along. <laughs> so before we go. Would you like to play a little game? This is like the main reason I come, Katie. Mm. I and I was, I in fact, as you were asking me what animal I wanted to do this time, I was like the cassowary, and I was like, no, damn it, that was the animal last time. <laughs> that this is I, this, I just to make sure this is the game where I get to you play an animal noise for me, and I say, ah, I know what that is, and yes. then I tell you what it is, and then the fun is over. But I look smart, right? <laughs> Exactly. That is what this game. The game is make Soren seem smart game. Ah, I love <laughs> games like that. <laughs> so dog. I hear dog. <laughs> that is the great uh, North Italian uh, nesting dog. Uh, <laughs> uh, she gets mad at the elevator. So. I know it's it's a it's witchcraft that I think I think science has gone too far with the elevator. A people mover? Excuse me. People can move themselves. So <laughs> ignore the dog the dog barking, but please do listen okay. to this which is uh last week's mystery animal sound and the hint was could this be the call of a unicorn? <laughs> It's like echoey. So do you know who is squawking or talking or roaring? Could be any animal. Oh, God. It's so deep and resonant. And it like sounds like it's echoing wherever mm. it is. Um, I'm going to say hippo. Mm. Is that your final answer? Remember, remember that show. Remember, mil- who wants to be a millionaire? It's topical. 
does sound like here's the problem i'm having it sounds like so many savannah animals but it, <laughs> that, but it also like the echo is really throwing me it feels like it has to be somewhere in a canyon uh i'm gonna stay with hippo all right well you're close in that it is an ungulate like a hippo but it is not a hippo it is actually the Arabian Oryx. So Oryx. Yes. So I was very shocked to hear this is what an Oryx sounds like. It it's it's just much more imposing. But the yeah. Arabian Oryx is a really interesting animal. And it is uh it, it is something of a unicorn, both in terms of its rarity and the mythology behind it. So the Arabian Oryx lives in the uh, desert and steppe area of the Arabian Peninsula, and it is a an antelope that it's not. It's got sort of a, I would say, you know, formidable body. Like it's not one of these very very lean and sleek uh, antelope. It's medium sized. The uh, it's mostly sort of this whitish color with some black markings on its nose and legs. But the most remarkable part about it is that it has these incredibly, incredibly long horns, which uh, are just they're very long and pointy and uh, frankly, menacing looking. Yeah, I, I it would be hard for it to stab you with those, though, I think because they're so long, they're like right. unwieldy. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> It's actually uh, both, it's, uh, sometimes you'll have ungulates, you know, these hooved animals where like only the males will have horns or antlers. But in this case, uh, both sexes actually have these horns. So congratulations to them for a gender equitable society. And they can be up to around 30 inches or 75 centimeters long, which is just incredible. Yeah, it's, they're really Big. Is it just is, do they do they use them like goats and sheep, or they just are button heads with each other? Yeah, so I think it is used in uh, sort of posturing displays. It, they like to avoid the conflict more, and they will use them to defend their territory. But they, when they're doing sort of like conflict amongst themselves, they often will do a display kind of thing of like, "Hey, check out how big my horns are." Seriously, you don't want to yeah. deal with these. So they like to that avoid injuring each other because and they would rather sort of just intimidate each other with like the their horns that checks out because it goes with the old adage you mess with the orcs you get the horns <laughs> yes yes the classic adage uh so yeah and the uh these orcs actually may have helped contribute to the unicorn myth along with other animals because the if People saw one of these animals with just a single horn or maybe found one of these horns. It's thought that this may have led people to believe that there is the mythical unicorn. And because these are actually, these are horns, these are hollow bones that don't regrow. If an oryx loses one of them, it will never grow it back. So it will appear like a unicorn for the rest of its life. Oh, man. I know. It's kind of sad, right? Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that that even happened. I thought all, all animals were like elk and deer, where it's just like, you lose them every year, and then you grow them back. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, because like, 
uh, elk and deer antlers are there. There's a lot of living tissue in there. So like they and they will um, like near the base of the horn and, you know, they will break off and regrow. And when they regrow, they actually have this sort of velvety skin coating on it that uh, supplies blood to the horn or the antlers as it grows. But yeah, with these horns, they actually don't go through that cycle of regrowth. Interesting. Yeah. And well, you stumped me, Katie. <laughs> yeah. And oh, also like unicorns, these are very, they, well, they used to be exceedingly rare. They actually went extinct in the wild uh, in the 70s, uh, but there was a reintroduction program and now they do exist in the wild. Uh, and there's about um, uh, over a thousand now in the wild. So it's an incredible. Oh, that's great. Yes. It's amazing. Such good news. Oh, okay. Feel good story at the end. <laughs> yep. Uh, we gotta ha we gotta have those uh, feel good stories uh, on this show. Yeah, considering the pikas won't be around in six years. <laughs> oh, this is good. No. It's good. That at least the orcs will. <laughs> Unless they team up and you've got an angry little pika <laughs> riding on an orcs with its mouth full of flowers. I think you just made the next Pixar movie. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. So on to this week's mystery animal sound. The hint, does this ring a bell? So who do you think is making that sound? God. I At first I want to say a bird, but I'm pretty sure that that's a frog. If it's a bird, I'm going to be really in the weeds because I just don't know them well enough. But I'm going to say that that is, a, that is a type of frog. What an interesting guess. Well, Soren, in fact, you'll find out next week uh, when we will reveal oh, great. <laughs> the answer to this week's mystery sound next Wednesday for the next podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about... Yeah, my pleasure. Talk about all the better candidates. For, I, I like bunnies. I got to say, I got to admit, I do like bunnies. I do not hate bunnies. I think they're great. Yeah, they're fine. They're benign. <laughs> they're good, I guess. So where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Soren underscore LTD. You can find my podcast called Quick Question with Soren and Daniel that I do with Daniel O'Brien. And... Uh, you can find my writings now on uh, American Dad. Go watch the show. And if you think you know the answer to this week's mystery animal sound, you can write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at creaturefeetpod. That is F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. <laughs> something very different. Uh, and hey, guess what? Thank you for watching the show. I really appreciate that. And when you guys leave ratings and reviews, I scream in delight i like uh, burst open my window and yell out onto the streets of italy hey um fishmaster 76 loves my podcast so suck it so <laughs> and i am a bit of a social pariah because of that but i'm proud um but yeah no i seriously <laughs> do love like every time someone writes in uh to the show or leaves a review it really does make my day so i really appreciate that and thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. 
Creature Features is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or... <laughs> where if you get your... I mean, I'm not gonna... Where have you listened to podcasts? I'm not gonna judge you. I mean, come on. Come on. See you next Wednesday. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.